Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm Mike Berberich, Senior Director of Marketing Futures and your host for this episode. Today, we're talking with two gentlemen who spend their days helping some of the biggest brands in the world successfully innovate within their organizations. Chad Stoller and Adam Simon are two of the leaders of IPG Media Lab, the dedicated innovation team for the UM family of agencies. We spoke to Chad and Adam about the types of conversations they have with marketers around innovation, took a behind-the-scenes look at how IPG Media Lab stays innovative, and discussed whether one can truly measure innovation success. I'd like to just welcome right away to the Marketing Futures virtual podcast studio, uh, Adam Simon and Chad Stoller of IPG Media Lab. These two gentlemen, uh, as well as the, the rest of the IPG Media Lab team, helped in putting together the Practice of Innovation Report, which is about to drop literally this month. Uh, and the conversation we had putting that report together was just so good, I, I felt kind of bad keeping it all to myself. So um, thank you guys so much for coming back so we could share a little bit of that uh, innovation goodness with the uh, Marketing Futures listenership. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, let our listeners uh, know who you are, give them an idea about your background and how your journeys led to IPG Media Lab. Uh, so, uh, hi, I'm Adam Simon. I lead strategy uh, at the IPG Media Lab. Um, I have uh, taken a lot of weird uh, career twists and turns, but the most relevant is I went to um, uh, ITP at NYU for grad school, which is a interdisciplinary uh, technology and uh, arts program. And coming out of that, I started uh, a small company called Social Bomb with some of my coworkers. Uh, and we started out trying to make uh, social software, social products, social games uh, rights. Uh, that was starting in 2008. So right around the time the iPhone and the App Store were starting up, but also uh, Facebook's developer platform and, and things like that. Um, and um, we we ended up pivoting into being more of a of an agency, more of a, a development shop for folks uh, looking to get into mobile and social uh, software. Um, as part of that, uh, we worked on a very awesome uh, <laughs> connected TV experience, which is what we would call it now. Although at the time we didn't <laughs> use that term uh, for uh, for HBO and and True Blood with uh, with with Chad Stoller um, and. Uh, we took a little, a couple of other detours uh, in between, um, uh, and so a few other jobs. But uh, that is how I eventually ended up here with Chad at the uh, IPG Media Lab. So, uh, so I took a little bit of a different route. So I, you know, I've been in this in this uh, media marketing and agency game now for close to thirty years. But I spent my first uh, fourteen or fifteen years working. Uh, in brand strategy, and a lot of that work was directly you know, related to technology products, technology companies. A lot of my earliest work was Samsung's relaunch in the United States. Uh, that was back in the, in the mid-90s. But then I tended to work a lot in terms of uh, strategic partnerships with big media companies and big brands and uh, really spent a lot of time in some of the earliest days of the, and if I like to refer to it as the consumer web, when a lot of brands were figuring out their ways and what to do online. And we've had uh, had a lot of good success, a lot of bad success, but probably some big highlights with things like Terry Tate, Office Linebacker, and like the first time to really you know, create content like that. But uh, eventually I then went to Organic, set up the Emerging Platforms practice there, found my way over to BBDO, running their New York digital strategy 
group and then the, the strategy team for, for North America. But uh, it was there where I kind of ran into ran into Adam as we had uh, met up at uh, South by Southwest. We had, we were in touch just through a lot of mutual friends. But uh, we really came together on this super fun. Yeah, Adam, I don't know what we were calling it. It wasn't connected TV, but it was a whole idea of um, exploiting the opportunity of uh, PlayStation 3 and its ability to connect to the Internet <laughs> and uh, allow users to connect Facebook to their PlayStation 3 and watch True Blood. And we put together uh, some pretty fun stuff. And then I found myself at the IPG Media Lab where I had been here for the last 10 years. And uh, we have transformed the lab from when it first launched in Los Angeles. And uh, we have uh, really shifted the organization to be a strategy first group, which is really focused on consumer attention. And that's where Adam and I are today. Fantastic. Uh, and that's actually a perfect uh, segue into my next question. Um, what exactly is IPG Media Lab? Um, like, I, you can, can you give us like a brief history of it and now kind of how it functions now in the larger UM organization? Wow, like, so first the earth cooled and then the <laughs> IPG Media Lab was formed. That's the, that's the way I would love to tell. I would love to give you the story. However, you know, one of the things that Adam has done so wonderfully over the last three years is he, he really owns our our capabilities and our credentials in terms of how um, how we talk to new clients as well as we talk to our existing clients about how the lab is changing. But Adam, why don't you go ahead and kind of talk about what the lab is today? And then Michael, if you want, I'll go I'll go in and give you a little bit of a history. It's a pretty good history. Uh, yeah. So so today, you know, we're really focused on uh, changing consumer behaviors and changing consumer attention and where those things are are going. Uh, as well as obviously looking at emerging media and technologies. Um, and then really the, the, the key is where those emerging media and technology channels intersect with the, those changing consumer behaviors and where that can open up new opportunities for the brands that we work with. Um, we, you know, we, we talk, we, we call ourselves an innovation team. Um, and that means everything from uh, identifying consumer trends to, uh, you know, getting new, new media channels and new media partners onto media plans, uh, but also increasingly starting to look at how uh, these technologies are reshaping the business fundamentals of the uh, the categories that our clients work in. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, we sort of start with that identifying what is happening <laughs> and what will be happening in the near future, and then layering on top of that, building out from there. Um, and that can mean that takes a lot of different shapes and is, you know, is increasingly meaning larger conversations about uh, the businesses our clients are in beyond just the scope of media and marketing, which is obviously where we start and where we where our our center is. That's so in, in turn. In ter Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that's fantastic. Very low, very low value out there. Go ahead, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I was going to say that, that you know when you when you look at the history of the media lab, and the media lab is depending on who you ask, it's anywhere from 12 to 13 years old in terms of is it born from the concept or born from the opening. But there is kind of like this dividing line that I like just referred to as like pre-awareness and then kind of like awareness. And when I talk about the awareness factor, it really is about embracing technology beyond the once again the consumer web which is kind of where the lab was birthed the lab was birthed from this concept that there was a digital ecosystem that was around that people who were making marketing decisions weren't aware of they were aware of video games but video games were something that were done in a basement a bedroom or in an attic they were um, 
familiar with the concept of phones and texting, but you know they would dismiss the idea that video would become like the primary driver in terms of uh, you know a value proposition for a consumer. And so the idea of the first lab, which was launched in Los Angeles, was to essentially open up marketers' eyes to the opportunities. And so it became a very hardware-driven type of experience. And so the lab was originally, I think it was, uh, you know, um, when I first visited, I think it was around two and a half to 3,500 square feet in Los Angeles. And it was great. It was a wonderful experience. And they organized they organized uh, hardware devices and experiences around various persona types. But what had happened is, is that over the course of those years, awareness changed and the organization needed to shift to a much more uh, strategic direction. And so what had happened was the lab started taking on more consumer research. The lab started to do some media research. And then eventually what we decided to do was to move everything to New York to become the front door for media brands. And so literally when you walked in on the eighth floor of media brands, it actually had a sign that said, this is the front door. And it was something that Matt Seiler wanted to put there because he really wanted to have a literal experience for when you walked in. But the idea of it was, was that media brands agencies had their eye on the future and for brands to, to understand this. So fast forward through a couple of different business iterations while the lab was in New York, we eventually um, rebooted the lab most recently, most recently around three and a half years ago. It's an integrated team inside UM. However, it still operates amongst all the media brands agencies. And so there's a very strategic reason why we did that. And the first is, is that the lab should always have a daily foothold inside an agency so the agency can always take advantage of that. And so what's nice about it is, is that at any given time, while half the team is working on products for the lab, the other half of the team is knee deep entrenched in client projects. And so that's the way the lab is structured now. Uh, that's awesome. And that's great. And I mean, it kind of in a very micro and, and smaller way, kind of reminds me of how marketing futures began. Like the first thing we kind of needed to focus in on zeroing in on was education or yeah, education or like our members needed to have, you know, knowledgeable, authoritative conversations around these emerging trends and technologies so that they could get, you know, make the best decisions. And we're realizing that it has to go so far beyond okay, you're up on blockchain. Like, you know exactly how a chatbot, so high five, go with God, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that's really why the Practice of Innovation Report uh, came together and why uh, I, I reached out to IPG Media Lab in the first place. Adam, you touched on uh, the conversations that you will have with clients. And obviously it starts in the media marketing world, um, but how does the, how do those initial conversations, when you're, you're coming to a brand there, they're looking for you to either solve an innovation challenge or assist with an innovation aspiration. What's that initial conversation typically like? Yeah, that initial conversation is, um, almost goes, uh, goes always, always goes like this, which is, uh, they say, Oh my God, an innovation group. We love innovation. Let's, let's have a meeting. And that meeting, we obviously introduce ourselves, but then the, the main goal of that meeting for me is to understand what the word innovation means to them. Because, uh, we have found through, uh, through years of doing this, that innovation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It means different things to different organizations. Um, so, so that first that first meeting is really about understanding where 
they expect for us to be able to plug in, as well as introducing all of the different ways that we can plug in so they're aware of them. But they will come to that meeting with some expectation, I think, of, of where to put us. And that ranges anywhere from this education and knowledge and thought leadership that you were just were just speaking about, which is obviously important and sort of foundational to everything. Sometimes it stops there, and that's totally fine. Sometimes they are, because they're coming from a media and marketing background, they're looking for those new channels and those new partners, and, and they, they, they want to experiment with new ways of reaching their consumers. Um, and that's also great. And that is, that is I think, the core of, of what we do with, with most of our engaged clients. And sometimes, and this rarely happens during the first meeting, but sometimes it happens during the you know, fourth or fifth meeting, um, we will uh, we will understand that what they're actually looking for is um, help with, with products and services and innovation on the product side of things and the business model side of things. Um, and again, that usually comes after not right out of the gate because, uh, you know, because of, of who we are, because we are working on the media and marketing side of things. Our first conversations are usually in that frame. But sometimes eventually it does come to mean, um, let's talk about the future of your business and the future of your industry and how, um, how we can help you think through the competitive landscape and how that's changing. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so that, that's really the first conversation or the first few conversations are, how are we going to work together? <laughs> um, and it's just over time that we've really, I think, been able to bucket it into those three high-level uh, high areas. If I, could, if I could add one thing to what Adam is saying is that eventually our involvement with clients really does um, ladder up to a role of providing confidence and insights. And, um, you know, as we work more and more with clients, we find that we grow in our relationship network inside a inside a client business to eventually start working with the product teams because there's just various aspects that we can help with. You know, it, it's so important that media agencies are focused on attention because attention at the end of the day is the currency that everybody's dealing with. And so investment teams always want to make sure that, you know, they're making the right choices to follow along with attention. And we are certainly in a world where we're optimizing media on a much quicker cycle. So, you know, we can get in and think, we get in things, we get out of things. However, there still are long-term engagements that are negotiated and so forth. So it's great for us to be able to work with our media clients in that fashion in terms of providing them with insights as to where attention is going. But it's also really great when we start uh, opening the doors with our clients and start working directly with our product teams. And also, you know, another area where, you know, we're also having more of an impact is with learning and development as well. And so when it's actually training and so forth. So we, we're finding that we're getting more, uh, you know, we're getting, getting more involved in, there, in areas like that too. Absolutely. And that actually kind of leads me to a thing that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, kind of marketing being the catalyst for change that seeps out through an organization. Is there a reason that it is so often the marketing team, you know, like, is there a particular reason you see why uh, that more than others can be a catalyst and, and kind of what ways, what ways have you seen that work out um, in the positive? Yeah. I mean, I think 100%, I think it, it, it makes sense if you think about, you know, what Chad was just saying about the fact that we are focused on consumer attention and where consumer attention is going, that applies obviously to marketing, but in the course of, of, studying that and learning about that and, and being on top of that, you will also understand what they're doing with the, the product and services side of your, your business. And the other, you know, looking at your competitors, you're going to see who is 
coming to market with something that is leveraging new technology or new media channels to reach consumers in new ways. That that's just it, it's all all of that is sort of embedded in us doing our media job well. Um, and I think you know for for good marketers on the client side is they understand knowing those things and understanding those things is embedded with them doing their job well. Um, and uh, I, so I think it's a natural outgrowth of, of the, the job of marketing is under, having this knowledge and understanding these larger sort of industry implications. And then the other side of it is that the budgets in marketing tends to be a little more flexible than in other parts of the organization, right? Where you you know you have a goal, you have X amount of dollars to spend to you know, convert X number of people to consumers, to raise brand awareness, whatever your, your goals are, you have X number of dollars to do it, but there's often a lot of wiggle room in exactly how you do it, which means that you can start to experiment and test and learn into these new and emerging channels, which if you're very good at it can then give you insights into, oh, it turns out that this channel, this channel is really working as a marketing channel, but that also might have implications for our larger business. And I think it, it sounds like, you know, old hat and it sounds insane to, to think that, you know, of a time before, uh, before mobile was not the focus of, of everybody's attention, but uh, there was a time where that was true and uh, where the first steps into mobile you know, everyone was like, do we need to make an app? And it just seemed like such a huge yeah. endeavor, right? It was just like, oh, oh my God, God, we just made a website. Now we have to make an app? Jeez. Um, <laughs> but the marketing organizations, the marketing departments of these these brands were the ones who understood that uh, they could see the numbers. They could see that consumers were, were starting to spend more time on mobile and that it was going to be important to have a presence there. And, you know, maybe it made sense to have your own app. Maybe it made sense to, you know, work with with platforms like Facebook and Google who were going to, to lead the way. But they had the 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 knowledge that, that that's where attention was going. And they had the, the budget to at least start experimenting with mobile uh, to, to understand how consumers wanted to interact with them there. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's because obviously mobile is so much of everything now, it's easy to forget that that was a not necess- that was a risky bet at some point in the past, right? That it was not a sure thing that uh, activating, de- developing an app that, activating on on platforms on mobile that that was going to be a sure hit for uh, for you as either as a marketer or as a as a brand uh, and I think that we have to keep that in mind <laughs> it's not like we're going to have another mobile revolution every year I know people are always looking for that there will be other big changes down the road but there's always opportunity because consumer attention is always shifting it, it doesn't stand still. And, and Adam, I think I think it's, it's a wonderful point because, like, one of the things that you know, um, especially in the early days of the lab, you know, clients would come in and they would talk about their mobile budgets versus their regular display budgets, and it was just one of these things where it's like, guys, come on, it's just like display is display regardless of how it's displayed. 
And the same thing when it came to video and so forth. But so much of it reminds me of like when I was at Organic, you know, one out of every three RFPs was from a brand wanting to build a social network. So I remember those same exact conversations where it wasn't, let's not build a mobile app, let's build a social network. But the real opportunity for clients, especially ones that are kind of like stuck in that world of like, okay, I understand the innovation is going on the mobile side. Do I have to build an app? Do I have to do this? Where sometimes the best thing that you have to do is just look at your existing business and how is mobile tied to your business? And how do you take advantage of, features and opportunity. And so it's like, you know, I always go back to like Starbucks was probably, you know, the first, the first real example of, of like um, Starbucks was the, one of the first, first to actually do something with, um, with a location-based notifications. Right. And it was just like, it was just this abilities where it's like you're by a store, you have the app installed, you can start turning on some of those features. And sometimes that's all it is that you need to do to actually drive growth is to just simply look at what are going to be some of the new features and how can you be one of the first people there? And, you know, and the nice thing about it is, is that, you know, no one's going to know if you if you swung, missed, and failed because the fact is is that you're just use, you're you're just basically building features and tools for your existing base. And by the way, if you're building features that enhance your base, people are going to talk about it, and that's how you're going to grow. So it's like those are some of the little insights that we have found uh, that have been pretty helpful for our clients. It's just letting them know, hey, here's a new opportunity here, and chances are your existing team is working on something here. But why don't you see if there's a way where you can actually just align in terms of both of your mutual interests? Yeah, and I think to bring it forward to something that's kind of equivalent now, I think what we're seeing now is um, the brands that are the most forward thinking are starting to activate in gaming. Whereas a lot of brands are sitting by the sidelines unsure as to if this is someplace that they can activate, if, if, if gaming makes sense for them. Whereas we've seen a huge shift, a huge I don't want to say bubble, but a huge expansion. Uh, We've seen a huge expansion of consumer attention in gaming and in in gaming platforms, increasingly for things that are not actually playing games, but things like virtual events. Um, And it's a huge opportunity. uh, And uh, yet everybody knows no one's going to get fired for not activating inside of gaming. So they have to overcome that, right? It's the it's the old, uh, no one gets fired for, for buying IBM. No one gets fired for uh, not activating inside of gaming. Um, but uh, th- those who are willing to, you know, take the time and, uh, and it's not even a risk. You just have to be smart about it. It's actually not risky at all. Um, but, it, you know, it might feel risky to, to some folks. Um, but that, that's you know it, just one example of something that I think is an equivalent now where uh, there's some skepticism around it from some brands, whereas other brands are running and jumping in with two feet and uh, in a lot of cases being really successful. You know, I, I noticed a through line uh, through both Adam and Chad, your, your discussion around that and its perspective is uh, incredibly, incredibly important in innovation and very often lost very easily. Like the idea that, yeah, mobile was always a sure bet or the idea that, oh my goodness, mobile's coming out. We need to come up with something futuristic instead of, you know, do people use their phones in any way to interact with us? I think that the idea of innovation and the practice of innovation, there's such a huge gap in the industry, at least in my uh, opinion, that it's great to hear about like, you know, uh, stop, take a breath, see what's actually already going along. Innovation's not going to come in a spaceship and be, you know, bright silver all the time. Yeah. Um, so that was just, yeah, that was just a really great uh, kind of holistic uh, perspective I, on it. Michael, I, I, you know, there, there's nothing, there's nothing probably uh, 
more disappointing is when you walk into an innovation meeting or a meeting that's called innovation, you know, because you're basically setting, you're setting the stage to come in and be like Mr. Showtunes, you know, like, hey, and here we got this rocket ship. We're all going to the moon today and it's going to be really fun and it's going to all be an AR. You know, it's like it's like those types of conversations kind of set set yourself up to really not to go anywhere. And so like one of the things that, that I often think is sometimes, you know, like oftentimes in a media agency, you have to determine that you're or define, excuse me, that innovation is a way to solve old problems in new ways. And so sometimes some of the best ideas that are coming out are just whether there's just new ways to measure something or whether it is a new way to buy something, or sometimes it's just about like, you know, you know, like, like most, like most agencies, you get access to betas from the leading media companies. And sometimes those betas are actually particularly interesting, but they don't get all the way up the chain. So, um, and I think that this is something that is, is interesting also that we do is that sometimes we are an opportunity accelerator. Because the lab does get to, you know, work with more senior clients and we have that opportunity to pick up the phone and just interrupt somebody's day to basically say, hey, there's an opportunity here that we think that you should take advantage of. And sometimes we can just basically make the link, you know, between something that has always been an outstanding challenge that we haven't been able to address and maybe now is something that's worth it. And, and, and things like that go a long way. You know, they don't win awards, but you know what they do is they produce positive outcomes. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what we're measured on. So... One of the biggest challenges, you know, uh, once innovation kind of becomes, you know, starts to foster within an organization, once you've got over some of those initial hurdles as to what innovation means for a brand, measuring innovation success is, you know, it's as challenging as it is necessary for marketers. Um, now, obviously, I'm not saying other things are easy to measure, but it does seem like an innovation initiative kind of gets tied up in its own knots when you are determining how to measure. So is there something about innovation in particular that makes it such a challenge? And what advice do you have for marketers who are struggling? I've been saying, I think for at least like the last 20 years or so, is that if you can measure it, it's not truly innovative because there's, you know, you can't, a new idea can't, you know, if you're going to match a new idea against an old precedent, then there's already a disconnect. Um, oftentimes what we do is that if we're working with a partner that essentially has a, has a concept that we're bringing. So in that particular case, if we're really serving as an agent in that particular role, we, we think that, you know, we have to work with that partner to define, to propose a measurement methodology. But the second thing that we always do is we work with our clients' individual um, measurement methodologies, but we take more of that Apollo 13 approach, which is that we simply dump all the parts that are on the table and essentially work with our existing teams to say, this is what we will be able to measure. These are the variables that are in play. These are the, the various things that we can measure. What is it that we can do? But at the same time, if we come to the table with an idea that is innovative, then at the same time, the client has to be just as innovative and entrepreneurial in terms of how they're willing to measure it. And that's like that's some great success that we've had with brands like Hershey, for instance, with all the work we've recently done with Hershey's, especially when it comes when it comes to esports, gaming, messaging. Uh, we've done a variety of programs. So we, we just concluded a program with them um, with with Wattpad, and it's like you know, these are these are programs where you know we're basically coming to the table with the best that we can do, and um, you know in that particular case that's that's great. I mean, it's, it's what we can do. And then from there, if we then decide that the program was successful, then we're going to have to move forward with a stricter, with, you know, with a stricter methodology. And often case, we're establishing a precedent. So now we can continue to build on top of that.
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And like, I get why that could sound a little shaky to a C-suite type who's used to being like, we, we, this is the number, you make it go up, it's a good thing, you make it go down, we got to talk. It, it just doesn't yeah, but because that's not the purpose of it. It will, you know, in some, in some cases, so in some cases you can go in with a hypothesis. And so like earlier when I was talking about working with established media companies and their betas is that we can basically say, we have this hypothesis that we can go in to do this trial. And we believe that this is going to happen and something like that. Then we can measure it. And I feel like that works well for your C-suite example. The other opportunities are we're going to go forward and we're going to do something that we weren't thinking about doing three weeks ago. Okay. Because the concept just came in. However, this is what we're going to do. So if anything, you can give a client the confidence that it's not like, you know, you're, 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 you know, you don't know what you're going to get on the other end. Something is not going to be a swing and a miss and a total fail. You know, so you have to have something in place where somebody can say, okay, we went in and we did this. And, and by all means, I, I really want to be clear. It's like, we don't just go in and just say, well, this is how we're going to measure it. Everything has to have a hypothesis and everything has to be like, we think this is going to happen. And you just have to set yourself up to be able to answer that question. You know, it's not, it's not like, it's not like Major League Baseball writing a check, you know, giving a 38-year-old a five-year contract and hoping that they're going to, you know, start 30 games a year. You know, it's, like- it's very much the scientific method. Like, figure out the thing that you're trying to prove or disprove and set a very disciplined course to prove or disprove it. And whatever happens, you are left with something that you can act on, you know. Um, and, 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 you know. Michael, like one of the things, and I just keep going back to this because it's it's exceptional work that our partnerships team has. Like, so we have a we have um, a pair, two people, who run our partnerships group, and our partnerships group essentially is like our lighthouse and beacon to essentially every entrepreneur with an idea that believes that they have something that should be that's worthy of advertising commitment to. So over the course of the year like this past year was was a bit of an anomaly, but the previous years, it's anywhere between 300 and 350 partners that they meet with. And the lab, because of its, you know, decade-long reputation for doing this, attracts everybody. And essentially what they do, and this is something I believe is truly a unique benefit that only we do, is that everybody comes to the table and they say, I want to meet with Coke, I want to meet with CVS, I want to meet with Hershey, I want to meet BMW, I want to do this. And it's like, just because you want to meet with somebody doesn't mean you can't. Okay, you have to come to the table with a real idea. So what our team does is they essentially they maintain an innovation playbook that is a very, very simple proposition. It is that we basically assign every one of our accounts a very particular need. And so we go back to those partners and we say, if you want to meet with client X, you have to solve for problem Y. So now what happens is everybody who comes to the table has a reason for the meeting. And then at the same time, all of their proposals are based on solving a particular problem. And then from there, the connections flow. And so by doing that, you know, we're always basically solving problems. And it's like, I always love when the lab is always in a place where a client can say to us, can you give us a fresh take on this, this age old problem? Or can you tell us how we can, you know, reach this or, you know, you know, you know, this particular group has gone offline or, or we can't reach them. They're using ad blockers. They're not watching TV anymore. They never watch TV. They don't watch sports, you know, this, that. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine that the more a brand uh, works with you, the quote unquote better the questions get. The, 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 the questions, you know, come in a form you can start sinking your teeth into right away, you know, because I'm imagining like, you know, how do we innovate this? division 
might be like the first conversation. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a, a thousand different ways, but like when they can come and like, yeah, we're having difficulty reaching audience X, they've been in our wheelhouse, they're no longer there, that is the challenge. That, you know, regardless of how it's solved, you know, you know exactly where you're headed towards the very, very beginning. And and that's it. And, you know, like one of the things that like, Adam, you know, you're always saying this is like, just because you have an audience doesn't mean you deserve advertising, you know, on your platform. And, you know, and that's something that we also really believe in. And so, so a lot of the work that we do is that we look at things that are garnering the attention. And while, yeah, in some cases, maybe the solution, the easy solution is try and put an ad on it. But in most cases, that's, that's not going to work. So instead, it's like, how do you accommodate that behavior? And how do you work around that behavior? And so sometimes, like in the cases of like, you know, things like Netflix, and you know, people are binge watching, and you can't get ads in there and stuff like that, you have to just think about what are these behaviors that like, you know, I always believe that one of the best ways to reach streamers is just do streamer guides, right? Just like people don't know what to watch, you know, and like, that, that's super easy. That's very much like a planner, a planner tactic. But it's like, it's like understanding like the behavior a little bit more is like the best way to reach a binge watcher versus just trying to put an ad up there in some, in some way, interrupting their experience. Like, so instead of interruption, how do you provide value? Right. That's such a great example too. Um, so well, let's take it, let's take it uh, a little bit closer to home base now. Um, so IPG Media Lab is helping brands, you know, foster innovation, like drive thought leadership, future-proof their businesses. What's it like inside IPG Media Lab? What are you guys doing to continue that culture of innovation? How do you guys approach future-proofing the the lab? (laughs) Uh, That is a great question. Um, We, uh, luckily, because one of the advantages of the lab is that because we work across every client, uh, we really get exposed to questions from every different industry, right? So you could be working on uh, an, an automotive OEM one day and you're working on a CPG company the next day and you're working on an entertainment company uh, the day after, right? Or sometimes all on the same day as, as does often happen these days. Um, and I think that that is a, a huge advantage. It's, it's, I think it is very important that there be some teams within an agency that work across category because one of the easiest and and I think most fruitful things that we can do is look at something that's happening in one category or that's working in one category and using that uh, as learnings for another. Um, And that is true of both, you know, marketing executions, uh, but also consumer behaviors, consumer expectations. We say this a lot, consumer expectations travel across categories. People don't, consumers don't think about uh, the the experience of buying uh, of buying a burrito on Uber Eats as being that different from buying a car. At the end of the day, there's some there's always the, that consumer question of why is one so easy and one still takes five hours even after I've decided exactly what I want at minimum. Um, and I think I think that that's a logical question that we should be asking, right? Um, and I think that that, you know, it, it travels that way, but it also travels in the other direction. It, it also travels from, you know, higher end to lower end. It travels, it, people are very aware of how these things work. Um, and, and I think that those, those consumer expectations, again, travel across category and it helps us take partners, maybe work in one area and move them to another. Um, this has been super helpful over the course of, uh, of the, the quarantine because uh, a lot of businesses that had been very 
focused on brick and mortar suddenly shifted to uh, to be digital businesses first as everybody basically became a digital first business. Um, and so learnings from categories that were very heavy in e-commerce were very valuable to the companies that suddenly had to figure out an e-commerce strategy or an on-demand strategy or what have you. Um, so I think one of the secrets is working across category. Um, the other one is uh, is keeping our heads above water and like uh, periscoping out of the industry and seeing what's happening in other industries. Uh, I feel fortunate that my background is more from the the uh, software and uh, and engineering side of things, uh, and and I so I'm very in tune with what's happening in terms of technology development and sort of what's coming down the pike uh, that way. Um, but we have folks on the team uh, who come from, you know, heavy retail backgrounds, uh, heavy gaming backgrounds. I think we, we try to keep the mix of the team uh, very broadly uh, with a broad base in different industries. Um, and, you know, even when folks come in, maybe more junior folks who haven't worked in those other industries, uh, making sure that they take on some specialties and can be the go-to person for something. So when we do have a, a question about, uh, you know, what's happening in B2B contract manufacturing, uh, you know, we actually have somebody who can speak to that and who has, uh, you know, done a deep dive on that, um, and, uh, and understands that a little more uh, in depth. Uh, we're about to get very familiar, I, I think, with, uh, with farming, uh, which is not something that I would have told, uh, said a year ago. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, those, are, those are a couple of ways that we, we do it. I think we also are all largely at the lab are all uh, uh, voracious media consumers. So we're constantly reading, watching, listening. Uh, and that, that makes a difference. Uh, I, 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 you know, sort of instituted years ago, this uh, got everybody subscribed to a sa the same basic set of newsletters. We trade, you know, podcasts that we like, we trade obviously TV and movie recommendations, book recommendations. Uh, and I think that that's actually something that I'm working on developing and, and trying to, to think through how we get that out to the broader agency, because I think, you know, being engaged with uh, across these different industries is actually a strength for, for the broader agency and, and honestly for any company, understanding what's happening in, in, in the larger, in, in other categories is, is always going to be a strength. I think one thing that I can add to what Adam is saying is that, you know, bringing bringing people into the lab by bare minimum like you know we bring people pretty up to speed people can be unfamiliar in the world of emerging technologies and platforms and uh you know within six six months to a year the technology part we have that's the easy thing and we we've packaged that up internally where we just have a really great platform where people can really develop a solid understanding or through partnerships with other people on the team so so for us you know, as we as we continue to grow our team, or as as we move people around inside our team, because we always like for people to kind of take on different roles inside the group. When we bring in new people, we're always looking for talent that truly has a good, solid feeling of the zeitgeist of like what is going on from a cultural perspective, because that's the part where I think you know we always have the most opportunities. Is that how do you link cultural and behavioral insights directly into how people want to use technology, embrace technology, and at the same time work with platforms? So that's something that we're always looking to, you know, always to bring in kind of a fresh perspective. That makes a lot of sense um, because, yeah, you've, if you're not leading with culture, you know, a vast ocean right. of technology is, is not useless, but very hard to apply um, in an effective way. 
Um, that was great. And it's just, yeah, it's so crazy to think of how you've kind of exponentially increased your toolkit by making sure every stream crosses, um, you know, in discipline and in, in vertical. Uh, so it was just very cool to, to hear laid out. Thank you guys. So we are rounding the corner. We're coming, uh, we're coming close to the end, but uh, we, we ask all of our guests uh, a couple of, of everybody questions because first, well, the first one we want as much perspective out there. And then the last two questions, because I'm personally a cruel person and want to see people squeam for at least a few minutes on the podcast. So let's start with uh, with doing good and and adding some some positive perspective to our industry, um, I would love to hear from both of you your thoughts on diversity and inclusion. I think diversity and inclusion is super important and has always been super important. It is uh, sort of to what we were saying earlier. I think uh, a strength of an organization to have as many diverse voices and and viewpoints uh, feeding into the system as possible. Um, and I think that it's, you know, I, I feel like we're at a tipping point in our culture where it's starting, to, it's being recognized that that is uh, a strength, a, a huge advantage if you if you foster it correctly. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, a, a year or two from now that things will be even more diverse and more uh, with more diverse voices contributing to the conversation, um, both, you know, where we are, but also in, in the broader industry. The one thing that I would add is that I think it's critical for our industry. I think that uh, as we, you know, you can't be in the media business and just have this like single cultural view. I mean, it's just like, it's not realistic. It's, a, it's the surest way to go out of business. Um, but one of the things that we believe in and we have been working with uh, with UM and all of media brands is that we believe that you can't just develop the talent. First, you have to develop the interest in the category. And so that's something that we have been doing. So we've been working with a lot of colleges and universities to essentially find the hand raisers, people that are interested in marketing and showing up at marketing clubs, showing up marketing classes, doing presentations, doing on-campus recruiting or now virtual recruiting. So it's something that we believe really strongly in. And it's one of the things that uh, we in the lab have done a very good job with because technically we're talking about the things that can attract the most interest. And at the same time, there's a lot of people who, and you don't, you know, it's everybody, everybody has been a part of the gig culture and everybody has been a part of the, I have an idea and let me start by buying a couple of Google search ads. And so what's happening is, is that, you know, as we find some of those people, you know, they don't necessarily look at digital marketing as a career. And so what happens is, is that we start to find some of these people who just want to talk to us because they're trying to better understand, an, you know, an SEO hack, or they're just trying to, you know, try and get a better understanding as like what some YouTube metrics are. And then all of a sudden it starts turning into a conversation about, wait, I can do this for a living. And so well, we feel pretty strongly about it. We're really pleased with the way that we can participate and what we can bring to the table. Uh, that is awesome. And it's such a critical part that like, you can't just set up your shop to be, you know, welcoming and inclusive. You have to go do the work to find yeah. a diverse candidate. And if it's more work than it was, that's it. Too bad. Michael, it's Michael. It's not that hard. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's nope. one of these things where it's like, you, you know, you can either hope, hope that it comes to you or you can go and get it. Yep. And uh, I believe you got to go and get it. Why did you just sum up life with that one? <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's great to hear. And yeah, um, being deliberate in your efforts, um, is just absolutely critical to it. Uh, so kudos, uh, for, for putting, uh, work where the words are. All right. So even though you guys crushed that answer, 
Um, <laughs> you don't get uh, away. I need answers from both on the following two questions. Uh, this will be your official forever answer. I had somebody say, oh, it depends on what time of day. It's like, well, it's your time because this is the official answer. <laughs> um, Adam, what is your favorite album of all time and why? Uh, <clears throat> I am one of those people who hates choosing favorites because I, I change my mind a lot. But I, I was prepared for this question because you did warn me that this was coming. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a longtime favorite, uh, Dolly Parton and the ultimate Dolly Parton, which uh, I feel like if I was only allowed to listen to one album for the rest of my life, that's a pretty solid choice. So I'm comfortable with that one. And it's also really been great during quarantine. It's, it's, it is both emotional, but also uplifting. Uh, and it's Dolly. Everybody loves Dolly. Absolutely. G-O-A-T right there. Um, <laughs> phenomenal. Chad, favorite album of all time and why? Easy, easily. Van Halen, fair warning. Woo! All right. And, uh, you know, I just feel like I'll never, I'll never forget the first time I ever played that album. I had the cassette. I put it in my mom's. I remember driving up, we were driving upstate for a weekend and I put it in and it was the first time I was listening to it. It was the first time she was listening to it. And it was just amazing. And as my, as a, an old friend of mine likes to say, Van Halen will melt your face off. And my face was melted right off on that car ride. I love it. I love it. That actually just brought me back when I was uh, like a kid, when I was like eight, nine or 10, my new favorite song of all time would constantly evolve on a weekly basis because my cousin would take me out for a drive. And literally whatever was playing in the car, I'm like, White Snake, here I go yeah. again, is the greatest <laughs> music that's ever been created. During yes. quarantine, during quarantine, the one thing that I've been really, really happy about is just listening to classic rock on the radio and listening to classic rock stations and classic rock DJs. And it's been it's been awesome. And by the way, like D Snyder. D Snyder has a radio show, a syndicated radio show on sun, on Saturday nights at like nine o'clock, House of Air. It's awesome. That's a plug for D. Snyder. <laughs> I'll reach out to his people for the check. If not, yeah. that's no. Um, so let's bring it up to the uh, let's bring it up to the current. Uh, what artist? What song? What podcast list are you listening to right now, and why? Okay, I'm going to give you two recommendations. Um, one is a new podcast that I discovered basically right before the holidays. Uh, that is one of my new favorites called You're Wrong About, uh, which is uh, just uh, this you know, a pair of hosts who every week one of them teaches the other one about something that you uh, probably have heard of but don't know a whole lot about. Uh, so they did something like six episodes on Princess Diana. They did the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, I'm now listening to, I, I just am in the middle of the second episode that is about Tipper Gore and the uh, the explicit lyrics labels on uh, on CDs or on albums. Uh, it is, they obviously not everything is going to be interesting to, to everybody, although I find their, the host so entertaining that I will listen to them talk about pretty much anything. But it is just a great, if there's, if you like look at the, the list of, of of episodes and there's anything in there that you find appealing, um, I guarantee you, you will enjoy listening to it. It's super fun. And on the music side of things, I want to put a plug in to, uh, uh, for poolside.fm, which is uh, a very chill uh, sort of vaporwave surf rock, not surf rock, surf pop uh, <laughs> uh, 
streaming uh, music station uh, that is uh, usually if I'm not, if, if I'm just chilling at home, I just have it playing through the speakers throughout my entire apartment. <laughs> Yeah, I literally just by the name poolside.fm caught the you, mind. You so. know what it is, right? You don't have to <laughs> go to the website. It's it's a beautiful retro 80s uh pink uh that uh is just it's it's very the the chill mood that I think a lot of us need these days. Yeah, I've been yeah, resonating with that kind of throwback retro feeling. So, love it. Love it. Chad, what 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 is in the eardrums nowadays and why? So, so since um, I haven't been commuting, my podcast listening is down, so I have to make the most of it. And so with that, in order to keep up with my team, especially with Adam, is that I do really, really love the uh, Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. It's basically 25 minutes and they catch you up on the day's headlines and the, um, the host of it, this guy, Brian McCullough, is building up actually pretty interesting media product there where they're playing around with various subscription-based um, subscription based editions and feeds and stuff like that. So I basically have been using that. Um, I used to love the Exponent podcast, the Ben Thompson podcast. I don't even know if he's still doing that. I guess now he's shifted to one with uh, Peter Copper. But anyway, I, like that's what I used to listen to, but it's like I don't have that kind of time. But when I do have that time, I have to say that, you know, for people who know me, I have a real, real dark dark, dark obsession, which is the New York Mets. And uh, so I've been filling the void with a lot of various Mets podcasts. And I've actually, there's a new one um, that is just absolutely terrific called That's So Mets. And it's actually, it's just the perfect name for everything that goes on with the Mets. But it's just like, I, I really have to say, I am just so enamored and obsessed now with just like the individual creator economy and just about how Various people are going to just get paid directly for for their wares. And, you know, it's actually very interesting because it's like, you know, I, th I think people right now are obsessing over the idea of like, you know, they're seeing it in a form that's an, uh, that, that's an uncomfortable form. Like people are seeing it in OnlyFans, like in that kind of way where people are paying directly for, for an end product from a creator. But it's like when we're seeing things with like, okay, what's going to happen with premium podcasts? We're seeing things that are going on with Substack and we're starting to see things like, you know, if Twitter ever gets a subscription model together, this whole idea of just creators that are actually creating the content that you so much want and that you're willing to pay for. And, uh, you know, I really do start to think that we're going to see this um, really start to become a little bit more common with podcasts because the quality of the content out there is just so good. And uh, so, mm -hmm. so anyway, I kind of like, I'm really enjoying listening to it, enjoying the content because it's not even just so much on the nets. It's just other topics in general that people are just excelling at. And um, it's, it's like what I was saying before about the tech meme one where it's like, okay, they have a subscription based one, which it's like, I'll probably wind up subscribing to that too. And uh, it's just, it's exciting. And there's never been a better time to be an expert in something and to be able to share your opinion. So and everyone has an opinion about the nets. Let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, um, how can uh, folks get in touch with IPG Media Lab? They heard this. They're just exciting, chomping at the bit. Where are a couple of ways they can get in touch or check out what you're doing? Uh, well, they can go to our website, ipglab.com. And from there, you can sign up for our uh, newsletter, which uh, goes out every Friday morning, which can link you to a lot of the other publicly available stuff that we do. Um, we publish uh, uh, articles uh, every week on on our medium, which is linked to from that newsletter. We also have uh, our own podcast called Floor Nine, uh, hosted by myself and Scott Elcherson from our partnerships team, uh, which comes out every uh, every week. Uh, look for 
Floor Nine in your uh, podcast uh, app of choice. Um, and yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's the best way. All right, uh, Chad, Adam, thank you so so much for spending some time with us, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, and you heard it here first. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Got an idea for an upcoming topic or guest? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you want more innovation goodness, head on over to marketingfutures.ana.net.